Well, we're in our uh, last sermon in the series on prayer and very excited to have gone through this. It's been neat to see how people have been praying and, and interacting with our, week, our daily devotional and uh, coming together in prayer and very excited about this. Today we're going to talk about corporate prayer, talk a little bit about why corporate prayer matters and want to ask that question. What, why does corporate prayer matter? matter? What I mean by that is when we gather together with other people to pray, um, we, 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 most of us are comfortable praying by ourselves, and, and we pray in our car when we're driving along, um, and then there are these moments when we're sort of forced in community with other people, and we're all sitting around in a circle or standing in a circle or together like we were this morning, worshiping, and, and we, we pray together, and what, what is that? Why do we do that? What's important? Is there anything special about praying together as opposed to praying just on our own? And we know, most of us know sort of the bad side of, of corporate prayer, right? You, you get in a group and, and everybody says, okay, we're going to pray. And, and you had all these things that you wanted to pray about uh, leading up to it. And then all of a sudden, when, when somebody says, we're going to pray, it just, your mind goes blank, right? You can't think of anything that you wanted to pray for. And, uh, and so you're not sure. And then you, you start to think about, what, what am I going to pray for? And some ideas come to your mind. And, and the most, you, you wonder, oh, if I pray, is that heresy if I pray that? And, and you're thinking... Uh, it's like the most basic Christian truth, but all of a sudden with the pressure of everybody listening and you're, you're in there and you start thinking, I think that's heretical, I don't know, I, I don't want to pray. And you're deliberating in your head and you're going round and round your head and meanwhile, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Eloquent starts praying. And, and so they start praying and they use these big words and, and you don't even have any idea what they're saying. But it sounds so good that you just feel closer to God. Um, just because of what they're using big words and these and thous, and, and you're just caught up in it, and, and they finish, and you think, there's no way I'm going to pray after that person. And just my little short sentences and whatever it is. And, and so while you're waiting, this other person, Mr. Pray Without Ceasing, um, has been inspired by uh, Mr. Eloquent. And so Mr. Pray Without Ceasing, who doesn't understand that that's not necessarily meant for corporate prayer, uh, to pray without ceasing starts praying, and he just goes on and on and on and on, and your mind starts to wander, and you're thinking about the football game, and you're thinking about what you're going to do after, and what you're going to eat, and that restaurant that you needed to go to, and you haven't been to it yet, and it just goes on and on, and then uh, pray without ceasing stops, and you're just totally in a different place. You're not even anywhere near God at all, and so you think, I I can't pray now, and so then uh, immediately filling the gap is Mr. Preacher Prayer who jumps right in and, and says, Lord, you know, I know that in Romans, whatever, whatever, you use the aorist imperative, uh, and, and, and you and I know that, Lord, but these people don't know that, and um, that's totally transformed my life. You know how I'm such a better person now because I know that, so please help them to know that and to begin to live like that, and, and so it's, there's not really praying, it's just preaching, and that goes on for a while, and you're, and you're angry at that point, uh, and... And then, and, then, and, then, and then gossip prayer starts praying, right? <laughs> and gossip prayer says, uh, Lord, please, <laughs> please help my friend <laughs> who really likes this girl, <laughs> right? And, and, and she's not reciprocating, <laughs> and his heart's really hurting, and... And the girl's in the room praying with you, and it's super awkward because gossip prayer is praying, and, and you know it's the guy who actually likes the girl, he's just trying to say it's his friend, and, 
And at this point, I mean, you are so far from God that you can't even begin to pray. I mean, you've just been totally lost in corporate prayer. So we know the bad side of corporate prayer, right? Um, let's see if we can kind of start from, we're starting with low expectations this morning. See if we can go from there and talk about what corporate prayer, prayer can be or could be. So would you open with me to Acts 4, Acts 4. Uh, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand, we'll give one to you, and this is a Bible for you to take home with you, um, I'd love for you to, to keep this. Acts 4, verse 23, and in that Bible that we hand out, it's on page 781. Acts 4, starting in verse 23. Now, a little background here uh, before we talk about praying together uh, through this text. Uh, Peter and John have been uh, preaching and proclaiming the gospel. It's just after uh, Jesus has, been, has risen from the dead, and they're motivated and sent out and empowered to go out and do ministry. And they, they go out and they're proclaiming the gospel, and there's healings that are happening in association with the proclamation of that gospel and the religious authorities are threatened by what they're doing. And so they're coming in to try and, um, and stop Peter and John from what they're doing. They're astonished. Um, uh, for those of you who are not Mr. Eloquent, it says they're astonished by uh, the simplicity of their message. I love that. Um, it's, not about, it's not about the big words. And the, 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 um, the, the, the Jewish leaders are astonished by them. And they, they're threatened by them, and they want to they kind of get them away and move them from the side. They want to stop them from having influence on the people to whom they're proclaiming the gospel. Um, but they, they get in there, and the Jewish leaders, they try to stop them, and they can't because the, these healings have happened, and the, the crowds are so much in favor of Peter and John and their message that the Jewish leaders can't, they can't stop them. So, so the work's the wonders of God that he's been doing sort of protect Peter and John at that point. And so instead of getting thrown in jail, they kind of get maybe roughed up a little bit, but then they leave and they go back, and that's where we pick up the story. So they've been proclaiming the gospel, and then they come back to their friends, and and this is where we pick up in verse 23 in chapter 4. When they were released from the leadership, the leaders, they went to their friends so important not to do life alone and to do ministry alone. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together, or of one accord would be a way to translate that, to God and said. Now, a um, number of things that happen here are going to trace back to what we've looked at in this series uh, we, 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 number of the lessons that we learned are evident in this text that we're looking at this morning. So the first thing they do in prayer is they say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about in part one of our prayer series that it matters to whom we're praying. It matters greatly uh, the nature of the one to whom we pray. And for us to reflect on who he is shapes how we pray and informs what we say and the direction of our prayers. And you see that as they gather together this community to pray, they remind themselves that God is sovereign. First of all, you see that? Sovereign Lord, they say, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So he's sovereign Lord. He's the creator God who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
He's a God who not only created, but also then starts to come after His people when, when we turned away from Him to redeem us. So He's the Redeemer God, and we call this the general revelation of God, and then the special revelation of God who speaks uh, in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. So this God, this is the God to whom they pray. They remind themselves as they gather together to pray who they're praying to, and it's this God who's sovereign, who has control over everything. He's powerful. He made the world, and He's loving because He came after us to redeem us, and that shapes how we speak to God. And then, the second part of verse 25, um, they quote, he quotes from Psalm 2 to talk about what God is doing in the world at this point. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Or another way to translate that would be against the Christ. Now, we talked about this in part two of our series, how important it is for us to frame our circumstances into the work of God in the world. So, first of all, we talk about who God is. He's a sovereign creator, redeemer. And then Psalm 2 gives us a window into how He's working in the world. And so, we want to, as we pray, we want to think about how our prayers fit into the framework of God's work in the world. And here in Psalm 2, it's talking about what's going to happen to the anointed. And they've experienced this very thing that's predicted in Psalm 2. And remember, we talked about Abraham and how Abraham had a choice to make. Would he focus on the fact that he was as good as dead because he was so old and his wife was 90 years old uh, and they didn't have a child, was he going to focus on that? Would that be the definition of his circumstance? Or would he define his circumstance according to the promise which you shall have many offspring? That was the word of God. And so the Christian way, following Jesus Christ, involves over and over again this process of redefining our circumstances or defining them rightly, we should say. So we can define our circumstances by what's missing and what's broken and what, what, what seems impossible, or we can define our circumstances by God's Word and His promises and His work in the world. And it's this continual choice to define our circumstances according to what God is doing in the world. And you see, that's an important movement in prayer, and what this group, when they gather together, that's what they do. They say, look... They don't say, uh, look, we're being beleaguered. Why is our message not being received? What's going on here? Um, We better stop doing this. They say, ah, yeah, go back to the Old Testament. This is what God said would happen. So we shouldn't be surprised, and we should keep going. Verse 27, and here they're, 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 uh, they're attaching what they're experiencing to what God said. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed... So there's the anointed piece from that Psalm 2. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, so the kings from the Psalm 2 quote, along with the Gentiles, the Gentiles in the very beginning of that quote, and the peoples, the second line of it, uh, of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they're, they're being, they're, they, they, they've witnessed lots of what you might call problems in the process of God's redemptive plan, but the, they're framing it in God's, uh, under, God's word helps them to see that this is actually what God is, is doing and intended to do from the very beginning. Very important to go through that process of reframing. It happened just like you said, God, is what they're saying to him. And it frames their life, and then, of course, that frames their prayers. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy spirit excuse me your holy servant Jesus now first thing God's sovereignty which we've seen a couple of times in this text the very beginning, they called Sovereign Lord, and then in verse 28, pre, what he predestined to take place. God's sovereignty doesn't erase the need for prayer. And we're tempted oftentimes to think, well, God's in control, so what does it matter if I pray anyway? And then maybe we don't pray. But you don't see that with these followers of Christ. They, they understand that God's sovereign in control, and yet they come to him in prayer to ask him to move. And so we have to be careful of that temptation to to reduce uh, the importance of prayer because of the sovereignty of God. The, bo- the Bible presents over and over again that the both go, they both go hand in hand together, God's sovereignty and the call upon us to pray and to come to Him with our needs. And second, what I find interesting in their prayer here in verses 29 and 30 is the connection between their speaking in boldness and God working and doing things around them to affirm and confirm the message that they're speaking. There's a kind of a word and a deed combination here that we're going to come back to in just a little bit. And then finally, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, as a a result of their coming together in prayer, their group prayer, three new conditions materialized. And I want to look at these three different conditions, but here's what I want you to be thinking about as we do that. I want you to be thinking about what are the areas where we gather together to pray? And how in those areas where we gather together to pray could these three new conditions be manifest? So when do we get? We gather on Sunday morning. And I loved what Miguel did this morning. He had us praying together. Uh, and, and praising God. This is the time, part of our corporate worship is corporate prayer. So we gather together and we pray. And this is one of the places where these verses we're reading today applies is when we gather together on Sunday. But it's not just here. When we gather together midweek in our home groups and we finish the home group and we leave some extra time or maybe we even start it with prayer. But we, we leave time in the home group setting to pray together. That's not just a tack on to the home group. It's integral part of what it means to be the body of Christ, for us to be praying together. And a lot of the sweetest moments of corporate prayer are going to happen in those home group settings as we know each other and we can pray for each other and we can support each other in that. And so, so think about this text in relation to your home group as well and when you gather together and what kinds of things could happen as you pray together in that home group setting. We have corporate prayer meetings once a month on a Saturday morning. We have a faithful few who meet and pray together, and we would love to see more people gather with them. We're thinking as well that in the coming season, um, we'll do more corporate evening prayer gatherings. Maybe once a quarter, we come together as a church to, pr- to pray about some specific things that are going on in the congregation. So uh, kind of like we do on Good Friday, uh, but we're hoping to do that uh, a little bit more. The staff prays every week together uh, on Tuesday mornings and at other times as needed. Uh, and then when we meet together as church council or a leadership team or any of the teams that we have, we pray together. So, so what we're learning today applies to all those settings when we gather together. 
where there's corporate prayer taking place. A church isn't measured in its prayer just by how big the prayer meeting is or one particular aspect. Prayer ought to be pervading everything that we do together as a community. And so we want to be, uh, we want to be learning and growing in corporate prayer in all of these different areas. Now, what were the results when they gathered together these friends to pray together? Well, the first one is they experienced this kind of communion with God. It says they were shaken. They were shaken. Now, the understanding of that is it was a sign that, that God was in their midst. And it's hard to tell if it was a physical shaking, uh, an earthquake, or just maybe, a, uh, who knows what it was. But something happened tangible that they recognized. And it indicated to them the remarkable special presence of God as they gathered together in prayer. Now, we know that big shared experiences bind us together as human beings, right? If you go through something in particular with somebody else, it binds you together with that person. Uh, I got a call from our our previous worship leader, Clark Abbott, recently, and he he said, you know, it's a beautiful day, uh, just remembering our bike ride. I was just thinking about it, and we had, you know, 10 minutes of just reminiscing about this bike ride. We took this epic bike ride together, Clark and I, from here down to San Diego. And so every so often we just call each other and we just remind each other because that experience was magnificent and it bound us together. And Miguel, did you know that was part of the job description? That we're, so, you're training? Good, good. Because we have to go further than San Diego to Mexico, yeah, there we go. Um, so, so, so how much more though? I mean, you know, coming around a corner, seeing a beautiful view of the ocean and that's glorious and everything. How much more? Wonderful and glorious and binding is the presence of God in our midst. We gather together and, and, and God meets us and we're shaken. How much more does that bind us together as a community, which is incredibly important? A, a few good Fridays ago, I remember we were gathered here praying. And uh, for some reason on that particular even, evening, uh, people who were, didn't speak English as their first language just sort of got tired of trying to pray in English. And so they just started praying in their own language. So we had like three different languages, people praying. And, and you couldn't understand what they were saying if you didn't speak that language. But you could sense what was going on. And it was this sweet, I'll never forget how sweet that time of prayer was. I mean, in a sense, we kind of walked away shaken. And those of you who are there maybe remember that. Because, um, because something special happened in that prayer time. And I look forward to that again this Friday as we meet together um, to pray on Good Friday. Uh, Something about being bound together when God communes with us, and it encourages us. Uh, You know the old statement about a a lump of coal will go go cold if it's by by itself, but if it's gathered with with lots of of warm coals, then then the heat uh, works off of each other and it stays stays warmer a lot longer. And that is a great metaphor for, for corporate prayer. When we gather together... We're encouraged by each other's prayers. We, we hear somebody pray for something that we didn't even think of, and it draws us into communion with God. And so we encourage one another that way. It's incredibly important, this, this corporate prayer. And, and what's sweet about this is, is in verse 32, we're not going to look at that today, except just to, it says in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. 
And it goes on to kind of a different section there. But this idea that they're of one heart and one soul. And prayer was, was what happened immediately before, immediately before that was written. They gathered together in prayer. And it was a beautiful force for uniting them to each other and to God. What's interesting to me is you see this over and over and over again in the Bible. We want to talk about what we're going to go and do and how we're going to we're going, to, we're going to act and what our strategy and our program is going to be and all of that. But even in this, this little text, you see that the most important thing, the first thing is communion with God. They were shaken. God met them. They had an encounter with God. And it's out of that that they then go and do whatever they're going to do. But it starts with relationship. And it starts with communion with God. So, one of the first results of the first result of their coming together in prayer was communion with God. They were shaken. The second one is empowerment by God. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were enabled to accomplish what they otherwise could not accomplish in their own strength. Now you think of what are the purpose of a church is. Uh, you think about the purpose of other organizations in the world. Um, you know, what's the purpose of Apple computers? Um, to get as many Apple products into people's hands as possible, right? And there's sort of a natural desire for pe- people want those kinds of things. And so that, that very clear mission uh, to get these, uh, these products in people's hands. What's, what's the purpose of, of any, you know, corporation like that? It's just to sell something. Um, and what's the purpose of a restaurant? It's to, to feed people uh, delicious food, right? And, and people get hungry every three hours. And so um, I sometimes wish that, that I were leading a restaurant because people would be hungry every three hours and you can respond to that, right? Um, what's the purpose of a hospital? And that, the hospital is a pretty, pretty complex organization. In fact, leadership uh, sources say that leading a hospital is probably one of the hardest things uh, because there's a very complex set of uh, issues going on there. Uh, people need to be healed, there's, but there's relational dynamics and there's all kinds of expertise that's involved and equipment that's involved. A very difficult thing. Uh, and we continue to grow in our ability to heal people and bless them. What's the purpose of a church? Well, to put it crassly, it's to help people cross over from hell to heaven, right? That's pretty hard to do. That's a pretty monstrous task. And if we, if we set on this task without the empowerment of God, there's absolutely no way that we'll be successful. We desperately, desperately need the empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. And one of the great things that happened when this group of friends gathered together to pray is the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were empowered for the work to which they had been called. And we desperately need that because the mission of the church is impossible without it. There is no way that we can do it Without it, And this is where that idea of the word and deed comes in. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. It's so interesting that they, were, they said, uh, they, they prayed and they said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. So we want to keep speaking your word with boldness while, I love in the beginning of verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So there's this, this word indeed, they're proclaiming the word, but God is working around them to confirm that word and to move people, to melt hearts, and to bring people to, to faith. And I, I think sometimes this is the piece that we're missing, 
And it's so critically important living where we do in a place where, you know, the church is much smaller than it is in other parts of the world. Uh, it's so critically important for us to understand this dynamic. We need this dynamic in order to be able to proclaim the gospel. We need for God to be working in special ways uh, in, 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 co- in coordination with our proclaiming and speaking the gospel. And he will do that. I believe he will. It, a lot of times it's, we're, not, we're, our, we're not expecting it and we're not looking for it. And so we don't notice it. Maybe you've been trying to share the gospel with somebody or share your faith with somebody and suddenly things take a turn for the worse and you go, oh, I guess that's done. That didn't work. When maybe very, that, the very fracture in your relationship that has occurred is the thing that God wants to use to give you a wider opportunity to continue to share your faith with this person. See? And we, often, we turn, we, oh, I guess that didn't work. But what God is doing around us oftentimes is surprising things that we didn't expect to confirm and give us opportunity to speak the gospel into people's lives. And I have all kinds of stories, especially since I've moved here, about strange things that have happened. And I, some of you maybe brought friends, so I won't tell you what they are, um, just because they might be too weird and weird you out, although that's probably too late for that by now. Um, but, but, but God will do things, and on our place is to be open to that. There, there's something about just sort of proclaiming the gospel and then having this openness, like, okay, God, what are you going to do now? And, and keeping our eyes open, looking so that we can move with God as he confirms that message in people's lives, maybe in totally unexpected ways. So there is a, there's a working, a word, and a deed a piece that goes together in this. And, and the empowerment of God speaks into that. And then the last one that we find in this, this text here is this idea of we get to participate with God. That's the third result of, of the corporate prayer, is they're sent out to be able to participate with God in the ministry of God's redemptive work in the world. And it's a beautiful thing. We are on mission together. That's what a church is. We're on mission together. And I think so often, and it's partly a result of, I mean, just the way we're even structured right now, we look like uh, an audience gathered together, right? Um, But we're not, the church is not an audience, Okay? And we, we've been trying to change our language around this. Say, this is the worship gathering. This is not church. This is not the church. You are the church. Okay? You are the church. This thing we do on Sunday morning is not the church. It's the gathering of the church for worship. And it's beautiful and it's important. And we want to do it the best we can. We want to set the table and, and have it, God meet us here. But this isn't the sum total of the church. Because the church isn't an audience. The church is an army. The church is an army. We're on mission together. And and when they gathered together to pray, they got to participate in what God is doing in the world together. The redemptive work that God is accomplishing. We are on a, a corporate life journey together. And some of you have been on it since day one of this church. And you know all the ups and downs we've faced and the challenges And it's been scary and beautiful and fun and wonderful and frustrating and all of that. And some of you are just jumping in at the beginning and there's lots ahead for you to expect and hope for. And and that's what it is. It's a corporate journey. We're on this journey together to accomplish the mission of God in this place, which is to proclaim the gospel to one another so that we really get it, and then to the people around us so that they can have the saving knowledge of Christ as well. We're, we're, we're on this journey, and it's beautiful, 
and it's frustrating, and God's going to empower us, and we're doing it together. And at the very center of it has to be prayer. And not just that we go away into our individual prayer closets, but that we gather together to pray together. There was a uh, famous historian on revivals, uh, Edwin Orr is his name, and he writes, No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. Christians persistently praying for revival. Been reading a book on revival, and it's so fun to see the different stories where revival has taken place uh, all throughout. Uh, this one's focusing really throughout the world. And it's true, in each one of these cases, what you see is people gathering together for corporate prayer. That's at the core of God moving in a particular special way in our midst. That's why corporate prayer is so incredibly, incredibly important. Now, uh, what did they pray for when they gathered together? How did they want to participate in the work of God? And and I found this to be challenging to me this week as I thought about it. They didn't gather together and say, Lord, give us a building so we can do church, right? They didn't gather together to say, uh, help us even plant a church. That's not what they said. What did they say? Help us to proclaim the gospel. Help us to proclaim the gospel. You can't shortcut that process. You can't jump over the proclaiming the gospel to having churches or more churches. You can't jump over that because that's the essence of it. And they're asking for the, the critical core, the essence of what is necessary was for them to speak the word with all boldness. You say, I can't do that. And you're right, you can't do that. You can't. That's why you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To help you to do what you otherwise could not do. Which is to speak the word in the setting where God has you. To speak it with boldness. Really, at the end of the day, it's just being who you are. Because if, it's what, if you really believe the gospel deep down, it's who you are. So it's really just speaking, just, just not covering up who you are, but speaking what's most important in your life to the people around you. That's the key. That's the core of what this mission is about, and that's how it's going to go forward. Not, not that we just wait for somebody else to do it, but that we jump in and do it. I was so... God spoke to me, I think, and in, in, I don't use that phrase very often, but... Um, I, at least caused me to think about some things this week. Is last week, my little son, my nine-year-old son, got energized about inviting people to church. And this whole week, he just pushed me on this. We got home from church, and I wanted to, I was like, okay, nap time, you know, preached way too long last week, I'm tired. Um, and and I, I wanted to, and he's, Dad, we got to go out and put flyers up for the children's event. And, and, and how could I say no in my tiredness? To that, right? So we went out for a long walk, and, and I'm thinking, okay, we'll put some flyers up on the poles. But every person that he walks by, he's got a bunch of cards in his pocket, and he, he walks up to him and he says, hey, we're having this children's thing. We'd love for you to come. He's crossing streets. He's not allowed to cross streets, and he's crossing streets to go over to get to find families because he sees kids walking down the street to invite them 
to the children. And, and, and I'm, I'm shamed because I'm feeling like he's more bold than I am in inviting people. And I'm reminded of the importance of this. And so then I start to get into it, and I'm talking to you. And I've done this before. It's, you know, I know how to do this, but you forget, right? You forget to speak boldly. We just forget. And God used my little son to remind me to be out there. And then, and then yesterday we went out again, and, and we went to Memorial Park, and we went over here, and he was with Brett and Sarah for a while, and he just keeps pulling out these cards and, and finding people and asking people, inviting people. And I'd be like, no, don't invite them. You know, they don't look like the kind of person. And he just walks right up and invites them. It's so awesome. I mean, yeah. So anyway, uh, this is what they pray for, is this empowerment this, this to, to be able to go out and invite. And, and uh, one thing that I wanted to, to mention this morning that fits so well in with this is one exciting thing that's happening is, you know, we're not about necessarily planting churches as much as proclaiming this gospel, first of all. That's what it's got to be. But we are part of a group of churches in this area in Northern California, and um, it's been a wonderful uh, group of churches to be a part of called the Evangelical Free Church, and we've been, we haven't had a, a leader for that group of churches in all of Northern California and part of, of Nevada for a while, and and at the end of April, we have uh, our new leader, Neil Brower, and his wife, Judy, uh, are going to start uh, working in that capacity as a leader of this group of churches. And Neil and Judy are here this morning. So stand up, could you, really quickly? Just stand up really quickly. And Neil and Judy are moving into San Francisco. So... It's the, sort of the corner of our district, but they felt God calling them to be in one of the most difficult places in the country, to be a presence there, and to begin the process of proclaiming this gospel in San Francisco and seeing where God takes that, and would God develop a church there, and so we're very excited. So we were there, uh, pray for them, they're, they're here looking for housing, they've got to go back, and then they're going to come back in, in the end of April to move here. Um, so pray that they find housing in the next two days, because they need to find housing in the next two days. So please pray for them in that. But what I loved was walking around San Francisco with them a couple weeks ago, and every person that they, just watching them in action, just sort of the same thing like with my son Gabriel, just loving people, saying hi to people, talking to people, looking for those opportunities, and that's the way they live. And I've, I've prayed with them before. I've gotten to know them over the last couple of years, especially Neil, and this is a heartbeat that they have to proclaim the gospel, and I think that they're going to influence us in a great and wonderful way and I'm, I'm looking forward to being influenced that we might become more and more of gospel proclaimers. And one of the things that Neil has often said is, is we've lost touch with the fact that in our churches, you know, it should be normal for everybody who's part of the community of faith to have an experience of being a part of leading somebody to the Lord, not just once in their lifetime, but even on a yearly basis. Now, whether that's idealistic or not, I don't know, but let's try to head in that direction right? And, and I know it sounds totally scary. Yes, it is. God will empower you, okay? And he will guide and lead us in the process. But that's who we're supposed to be. And when the early Christians gathered together to pray, that's what they prayed for, that God would make them proclaimers of the gospel. So we want to become that as well together. So we're going to come together in prayer this Good Friday, and there's an optional fast with it. It's optional, so no stress if you don't fast. Just come. We're going to pray as a church 
for God to keep us on mission and to propel us forward in mission. And I ask that you would be here. Let's pray together. Let's join this. Let's do this corporate prayer thing. Lord, would you even come upon us now as we gather together and as we um, continue to pray and celebrate communion together and to have moments of prayer on the side so people maybe feel like there's a particular area where they need to have somebody pray for them. Lord, we know that you're with us when we gather together. Would you shake us by your presence? Would you shake us with your presence? Lord, we've been praying that there would be breakthroughs during this series on prayer as people step out to ask for prayer. And I'm praying there would be a breakthrough with our congregation as we look into this Easter week and we have so many opportunities to invite people to proclaim the gospel, that you would work through us and in us Um, empower us, cause the circumstances around us to to create opportunities where we can share the gospel and pray with other people and and, and see the message of Christ furthered in our area. Lord, we know desperately there's, there's need for the gospel in this place. And so work in this little church, we pray, in each one of us to be cause us to become proclaimers of your gospel and let it be fueled by our prayer together. Home group prayer, corporate prayer, Sunday prayer, prayer in our various teams, random, unplanned prayer, whatever it is, Lord. Fuel your mission as you bind us together in prayer and you empower us by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.